I want to continue um, last week as Brother John shared about a legacy of faith. I've entitled it A Legacy of Faith, Water Walking. I want to just continue the thought of what God is doing, what He has done, and how blessed we are to be at a place called Sagemont. Not because this is Brother John's church or your church or my church, because it's, it's none of us. It's our church. It's his church. And so the work in the ministry will continue on. We're in a transition period, and transition is good, because when you transition, you want to make sure you keep your eyes on the one who is leading the, the charge. And so in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. Last week, we had Vacation Bible School. Over 120 children trusted Christ as their Savior. So the mission remains the same. And we continue on in the message of God's grace and His mercy. And I want to talk to you about, in this passage of Scripture, about faith. It's about trust. It's about letting go. It's about trusting God when it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so you have to trust God. You have to look at life from a perspective of life works for us, not against us. And so when you see everything kind of falling apart in the world, it's actually all coming together because Jesus is in charge. So I want to draw some lessons from this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14. I don't know how far we'll get. I'll watch the clock carefully, uh, but not too carefully. Well, what is time around here? We've got plenty of time. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to maybe 33, we'll get there. But let me set up the context, because this is real important to understand that Jesus is going to send his followers into a storm. They were in the classroom of faith all the time. And most of the time, they didn't have a clue what Jesus was trying to teach them. So let's remember the context of where Jesus was. Uh, He was in Matthew chapter 14 here, right before this passage, John the Baptist was beheaded. So Jesus was trying to get away to grieve, but the crowds wouldn't let him grieve. And so one of the things he realized is the crowd started pressing against him, and so he realized there was a need to feed. And so the need to feed was he told the disciples, you feed them. I'll do the miracle, you feed them. You do it with your hands and your feet. So Jesus is trying to grieve. He takes an adjustment here. He doesn't grieve immediately. He's going to grieve later because there's people that have a need, so he's going to move into that. And so in the context of that, you have to understand in the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus wants them to go to the other side. He's trying to get alone. So he's actually trying to get in a position where he can release them so that he can have some time. But they didn't think about that. They weren't really catching the context, and they weren't really catching the fact that there is a storm that is coming coming, but Jesus wanted to do something that was incredible. And so one of the things that you have to understand in God's sovereignty and in his impeccable character, he is always above the storm that you and I face. He's always above the storm. And not only is he above the storm, uh, the storm is, is below him and we are below the storm. So he's got everything under control. His divine power. He's got everything under control. So in this passage of Scripture, they wanted to make him king at the end because if you feed 5,000 people uh, people and give them a free lunch, they want to make you the king. If you don't raise taxes, they want to make you the king. But it wasn't time for Jesus to be the king. It was time for the disciples to learn in the classroom of faith and begin to trust Jesus and to begin to get a glimpse of who he really is. And he is sovereignly under control control. So in this passage, the first thing you see in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, he speaks to the storm that you and I are in. 
He speaks to the storm that you and I are in. And Jesus will put us in a place that is way over our heads. That's what he does. Because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to look and see him and to be able to concentrate on him and focus on him. So Jesus always puts his followers in a place that is way over our heads. Do you understand that we're fixing to have a search team that will be assembled? So you heard me say that. Brother John's doing the 930. There will be a search team. Some of you ask me, is there going to be a search team? I'm giving you some pointers today. Okay? So here it is. There will be a search team. But here's the beautiful thing about the search team. The search team doesn't have to make the search. God already knows who the next pastor is because he's sovereign and he's in control. They have to do their work and they will. But what we want is people who walk with God in such a way that when God reveals who he has, they recognize it. They're not choosing someone. God's already known that before the foundation of the world. So we've never been in a position like this. So Jesus puts us in a place that is way over our head. How does a search team work in a church that's only had one pastor? I have no idea, but it'll be fun because we just keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd of this church. He's in charge of this church. There's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. There's no need to lose any sleep. But Jesus will put us in a place that is way over our head. And the reason I say that is, look at verse 22. So in the context of what Jesus was going through, he was grieving. He had fed the 5,000. And this was a Jewish crowd on this side of the lake. But the disciples didn't want to go to a Gentile crowd. Acts 1 through 9, Jews. Uh, 10 through 28 is the Gentile crowd. They didn't want to go to the other side. Watch this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. They didn't want to do it. Has God ever nudged you to do something that you didn't want to do? Have you ever been obedient in your life? When God spoke to you and he told you exactly what it is that you're to do and you argued with him and you were the expert, not him, and you gave Jesus every reason why you shouldn't get into the boat. Some of you need to get in the boat today of obedience. You need to get in the boat of blessing because the boat is already blessed. Even the boat in the storm is already blessed because Jesus has already blessed it. So he's sending his disciples into an obedience lesson and all they have to do is obey, but they didn't want to. When was the last time you obeyed God just because he said so? Just because he told you to do something. You know, we fight that, don't we? We fight blessing and we fight obedience. And Jesus puts us in places that are way over our head. And sometimes he has to give us a little nudge. But he sees the end from the beginning. And he knows exactly what he's sending us into. And he knows that these waves are going to be over our head. But everything that is over our head is already under his feet. Because his character is impeccable. And he is so sovereign. And he's such in divinely control of every situation that you and I can trust him in the storms of life. What storm are you in today? where you need to trust God? What storm are you in where you need to be obedient and step out and do what God has told you to do? Some of you need to step out and be saved. Some of you need to get into the boat of salvation. You've never trusted Christ as your savior. And Jesus wants you to 
come into a right relationship with him. Just like you saw these three here that were baptized. They went into the connection center and people introduced them to Jesus Christ. Some of you need to get into that boat of blessing because God already has the blessing prepared, but you can't receive the blessing if you stay where you are. You must move from where you are to the place that is already blessed. And in order to do that, you have to release your faith and you have to let go of your flesh. Jesus Christ is in control. Now let me tell you something that's very interesting in this passage. He made his disciples, look at the text, get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now you, would, you read through that and we've preached this and taught this before, but the reason that they didn't want to get into the boat is they knew how to get in and out of boats every day of their life. That was not the difficult part for them. They were fishermen. They were professional fishermen. They were too big for themselves. So as professional fishermen, you've got to use your sanctified imagination here. The reason they didn't want to get into the boat is because they knew the weather. They knew that a storm was coming. So the exchange could have been something like this. Jesus, you stick with your expertise. You're a miracle worker. You feed people like nobody can feed people. You can bring it and teach like nobody can teach. And you are a tremendous carpenter. But Jesus, we know when storms are coming. And we know how to watch for the weather. And there is a storm that is coming because we are professionals at fishing. That's where their problem was. Here was the number one problem. Their problem was their experience. And number two, their problem was his expertise. They didn't think he knew anything about fishing. They just thought he was, you just stick with what you're doing. Listen, we better get in a position in our lives where we yield our area of expertise. And when God says, you get into that boat, we yield whatever expert we are and say, I will yield in obedience to your commands no matter what. When is the last time that you stepped into the boat just because God said so. The blessing is already prepared, but you have to get in position to receive the blessing, and the blessing is in the boat that's already blessed because Jesus is sovereignly in control. He made his disciples get into the boat. So when you think about an area of your life today where you need to step out and obey God, where is it? Is it in salvation? God's been drawing you. He's been touching you. Maybe you're a parent here today. You had children in vacation Bible school. This place was filled with kids and workers and snow and smoke and fog and everything else. It was an amazing thing. Many of you served all week long. It's a beautiful thing, but we do that so we can present the gospel message to children. So we can get them in the right boat at a young age so that they don't have to depart from it later. They can understand what truth is. So maybe the area of obedience for you is salvation or baptism, or maybe you need to forgive somebody just because God said so. Some of you are holding on to a grudge, a bitterness towards somebody, and God said, you, you forgive them, and you're trying to explain to God every reason why you shouldn't forgive them. When is the last time you did something just because God said so? He said, you forgive them. Because you're the one that loses, you're the one that becomes bitter, but when you release them, you can be free. Some of you are bound to somebody who's causing you to live in bitterness because you won't obey and forgive them. 
Listen, let this Father's Day be a day when you realize there's a perfect Father. Every father in this room is flawed, flawed, flawed. But the Father in heaven is flawless. He is absolutely perfect. And Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, and if you want to go to the Father's house, you got to get in the boat of salvation, because Jesus said, I'm going to show you a perfect portrait of a perfect Father who will love you at all times. And like Bill said, he only heard it one time. Well, let me tell you what, my Father tells me all the time that he loves me, and he accepts me, and he values me, so I don't look to man, I look to God. That's the right boat to be in. Now, look at the text. We're fixing to have turbulence ahead. Put your seat trace in the upright position. It's fixing to get rough in here. All right, here we go. So they went on ahead. Look at the text. I'm still in verse 22. Get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Listen, the other side is Gentile territory. They didn't want to go to Gentile territory. But listen, when God tells you to go to the other side, he will speak to anything that will cause you to go under because you're going to go over. That's what he's saying. So fellas, get in the boat. Get in the boat of obedience because the boat is blessed and you are going to go to the other side. However, it's fixing to get rough. Notice what the text says. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up by a mountainside to himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was there alone. Let's talk about a couple of things here. The obedience that we get into. Whatever, whenever God tells us to obey, whenever he tells us to get into the boat and it's blessed, it has his favor on it because he is the blesser. He is the anointed one. And so when I think about this church, and I think about there was a turning point in 1975 because one man, John Morgan, was convicted to get this church out of debt in 1975. And I'm sure he received some free unsolicited advice from his boat riding friends, you don't do things like that. That just doesn't make any sense. But let me tell you something about obedience. If the blessing is where God is and the boat is already blessed, you don't ask questions, you just get in the boat. But because this church got out of debt in 1975, do you understand that we're the recipients of blessings all over the place? The blessing of being here today. The blessing of giving 30% of our budget to missions because we owe no man anything. Did you hear what I just said? 30% of a budget going to missions. Now you say, wait a minute. You say, oh, that's just coincidence. No, it goes back to somebody who was willing to get in the boat and just do what God says. And when you do what God says, God blesses what he already says is blessed. And so you think about the missions that we do. You think about the retired pastors. This church has given almost $2 million through mission dignity to retired pastors or their widows. We couldn't do that if we were strapped to debt. You see, this church does a vacation Bible school that's second to none. We couldn't do that. We couldn't pour money into it if we had a portion of our budget go to a note and to pay it off. So when you think of all the things that Sagemont, that make Sagemont unique, it starts by somebody being willing to be obedient. Now, here's my question to you. What area of obedience do you need to step into because other people are waiting to receive the blessing that only God can give them, but it starts with you? It starts with you. You have a ministry. You have a mission. You have a calling. 
And Jesus, look at the text. He went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus was trying to get alone. He was grieving. He had fed the 5,000. He was trying to pull away. So he leaves the disciples into this storm. He sends them into the storm. It's a storm of obedience. And then he goes to a mountainside to pray. They had separation anxiety. That's what they had. So the idea is that Jesus, watch this. This is important in the text. Jesus went to a mountainside to get alone because it was normal for him to commune with the Father. But watch this. Sometimes we need to have separation anxiety because we need to be alone so that we can focus on the most important things. So there was a separation here. The disciples were alone in the boat. Jesus went to a mountainside to pray. Now watch the text. But now the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That's an understatement. The word contrary means tortured, means buffeted. Uh, The wind was howling. They were tossed by the waves and the wind. And so that's the beautiful part of this picture. And what I want you to see in this text, let's look at verse 25 as well. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Here's the point. Jesus is not affected by what we're affected by. He's not hindered at all by weather. What affects you and me in the storms of life does not affect him. He is above the storm. He's walking on top of the storm. And we are below the storm because we are below him. And so the understanding here in this text is Jesus is not affected by what affects us. So when you think about the storms of life, and I want you to think about in this particular passage of Scripture, they were only one mile from the other side. Just one mile, a point of destination from this side of the lake to this side is one mile. However, they found themselves three or four miles turned upside down, wave upon wave, the text says. The text says that when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So it was like wave upon wave upon wave. And so they were trying to get across to the other side. Jesus goes up to a mountainside to pray, and they're wondering if he's ever going to come off that mountain. But you see, Jesus comes off the mountain when Jesus, who's divinely sovereign and in control, wants to come off of that mountain. In the meantime, the disciples were in the sea for nine hours. How would you feel in the middle of a storm? You would be a little fearful too. So it was wave upon wave upon wave. I remember one time I was in Cozumel and I was snorkeling. Could you imagine me snorkeling? I had a... uh, I had the mask on. I had duct tape that was keeping, uh, helping me breathe and getting the little apparatus out of the water. Uh, my, my flippers, I had duct tape around the backs of my ankles because they were just raw. I was, I was burned. I, the, the seagulls were saying, medium rare, let's go get him. It was bad. And wave upon wave upon wave were hitting me. And I was trying to straighten out everything. And here's what I did. I got hit by so many waves, I got turned upside down. I thought I was swimming up when in actuality, I had got turned around and I was going down. I was going deeper and deeper and deeper. I got my directions messed up. And then all of a sudden, the wave pounded me and threw me up on the shore. And here's what I told God. If you save me from that, I'll never get in the water again, and I never have been in. I said, Lord, 
All of my gifts, they're land gifts. I'll do all my gifts from the land. But you see, when the storms of life come, you and I have to know who we're facing and who we're trusting in. And if you're going to walk by faith, you don't have to worry about the point of destination. When Jesus said you're going to the other side, that's a point of destination. What we have to remember in our hearts and in our minds is we need to live at a point of desperation. And when you walk by faith, you will always be at a point of desperation for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Do you see that in the text? It says here, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and the wind was contrary. Walking on the sea. Now, this this is what's important. Look at verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. It's a phantom. It's a ghost. Now, they did not believe that anybody could walk on water. No human could walk on water. But they did believe in ghosts. So you got to look at the little phrase, it's a ghost. That's what they believed in. So what they saw is what they believed in. They believed in ghosts. So when they thought, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they didn't believe that was him because they didn't believe that people could walk on water, but they did believe in ghosts. So that's what they saw. So what they saw is what they believed in, and what they believed in is actually what they saw. So you and I have to make sure in the storms of life, when the waves hit us and they pound us, and we feel like we're going under, and we're actually trying to swim to the top, but we're actually swimming deeper and deeper, is that Jesus has everything under the control. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Now listen carefully. If you're a Christian who's always demanding an explanation from God, you are going to be highly disappointed because God doesn't always explain himself. You're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to trust him in the storms of life. Some of you are in the storm of your own making today. You're in a storm of disobedience, and you're there because of the decisions that you've made. All you have to do in order to get out of the storm of disobedience is repent and call on Jesus and turn and walk this way. The disciples weren't in a storm of disobedience. They were in a storm of obedience because Jesus was trying to teach them about trusting him, about walking by faith in the middle of the storm. Do you know that you are safer in God's will than any place else in your life? If God calls you to Iraq... You are safer in Iraq than you are in your gated community with airbags in your new car if God has called you to Iraq. It is safer to be in the will of God than to be outside the will of God and playing games with God. Be all that God wants you to be, but you've got to step into obedience and you've got to step into his will and you have to trust him. You have to trust him that he has everything under control because we have a fear, just like the disciples, that God's going to do us harm. But God's ways are much, much higher than our ways. So the text says, 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying it's a ghost. And they cried out, in fear. When I think about storms in my life and I think about storms in your life, we oftentimes don't see the storm working for us. We see the storm 
working against us. We see things that are falling apart and situations that need attention, and we're trying to fix it. Because you see, we're fixers by nature. We don't like to trust God. It's not natural to trust God. It is supernatural to trust God. And when you trust God in a supernatural way, you get your hands off of everything and trying to fix it, and you say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, you do it. It's kind of like the little boy who was, uh, had a boat, and this is a story about a little boy with a boat with a string. He would go out to the pond, and he would uh, throw his little boat out with a string, and he would pull it in, and he would throw it out, and he would pull it in. And he would throw it out, and he would pull it in. And then one day his string broke. He said, Daddy, 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 my, my boat, my boat. And his daddy saw what was happening. And his dad looked around and he said, uh, Son, let's get some rocks. Daddy, Daddy, no, 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 no rocks, no rocks, no rocks. He said, You've got to trust me, son. You've got to trust me. This is a storm. You've got to trust me. If you want to get your boat back, you've got to trust me. So the dad began to pick up rocks. And he began to throw rocks, and the boy said, no, Daddy, no, don't throw rocks at my boat. Don't throw rocks at my boat. I made that boat. I built that boat. Don't throw rocks. But all of a sudden, the son noticed that the rock was going just beyond the boat. And as that rock was going just beyond the boat, it was creating a wave that was bringing that boat back to the shore. And so all of a sudden, the little son, who was all worried about the storm in his life that was happening, he started saying, he got down like this and he said, throw another rock, daddy, throw another rock, daddy, throw another rock, daddy, because he saw that boat coming closer to shore. Listen to me. There are waves in your finances and waves in your marriage and waves in your difficult job. And God is throwing a rock and you may think it's destroying you, but he's got a big enough rock where it's hitting on the other side that the storm that you thought was going to take you down is actually drawing you closer to him. The storms of life, they bring us into a close relationship with God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, throw another rock. Whatever you have to do in the life of Sagemont, in the life of its people, do whatever you need to do to get us to a point where we just trust you. We just trust you for the future. Oh man, listen, the future's not in your hands. The future's not in the committee's hands or a team's hands or a pastor's hands or a staff member's hands. I hit puberty. The, uh, it's in the Lord's hands. So here's the deal. Throw another rock, God. Do whatever it takes to get us to a position where we trust you. Now watch this. This is in the text. Notice what the text says. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. This is the whole crowd. Notice what he says here. He spoke to all 12 of them, saying, be of good cheer. Oh, that's good for you to say. Be of good cheer. Let me tell you what the word good cheer means. It means don't live in doom and gloom, but choose joy and peace in the midst of your situation. That's what be of good cheer means. So he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't let fear take you down. Don't let fear drown you. Don't let fear swallow you. So you have on this side of the verse, do not fear. You have on this side of the verse, be of good cheer. Now watch this. It's pointless to have be of good cheer, and it's pointless to have the last part of the verse unless you focus on the middle. Look at the text. It is I. That's the great I am. You remember when, when Jesus, you remember, he says, I, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the great shepherd. I am the bread. I am the life. 
uh, all these things that I am. And you remember in Exodus, before Abraham was, God said, I what? I am. So you have I am speaking. When I am speaks, he's not contingent or dependent upon anybody. He is self-existent. Jesus is eternal God. He needs no help from anybody else. He doesn't need anybody to help him do any rescues. He is the great I am. And if we can focus on the great I am, we can have cheer and we won't be afraid, but we got to get our focus on the one who is in control in this story and the one that's in charge of our church. Are you not excited about that? Listen, this is God's church. It's a legacy of faith. Our pastor has taught us to walk by faith, to trust him. Sagemont has always been a church that's gotten out of the boat. It's not gonna, we're still going to get out of the boat if God tells us. Now, if you get out of the boat without God telling you, that's dangerous. But it's not dangerous when seeing is believing and the believing is in him. So that's what the text says. Now, look what it says. So he speaks to all of them and says, cheer up, basically. They're like, are you kidding me? And here goes Peter. Before you get upset with Peter, let me tell you. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, that word, if it is you, is translated, since that's you, command me to come on the water. So he said, come, verse 29, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now here's the point. Peter got it. Peter said, come. When's the last time you've responded at the request of God, who is the great I am, and he told you to come? You see, I believe all of those disciples could have walked on water that day. I believe the potential was with all of them to walk on water because the Bible says he spoke to them. But singular, Peter engaged with him, and Peter said, if you, since that's you, if you tell me to come, I'm going to come. When is the last time that you've been moved at the word of God? And when is the last time that you've walked on water, which is the last time you walked on faith, because when you walk on faith, you walk on water, that God has given you a word, and that word comes at his request. So when Jesus says, come, and we refuse to come, that's disobedience. Look at the text. He said, come. Here's what you want to write down. Immediately Jesus spoke to him, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. And he said, come. You want to get to the point where God only has to say something to you one time. Boy, how many times in our life, my life, has God said to me something and I dismissed it as the devil? <laughs> oh, that can't be God. That just can't be God. Listen to me. You want to get to a position where you hear the voice of God and when he says, come, you are moved at the request of God. And he only has to say it one time. For some of you, God is calling you to salvation. It's obvious in your heart and life you need a Savior. He loves you with an everlasting love. He cares for you deeply. He wants you to go to heaven to be with him when you die. But he wants you to have heaven while you live on this earth. And the only way you can have heaven while you live on this earth is have the God of all heaven come live in you. So Jesus offers you a relationship, and he says, come. That's what salvation is, come. But after we come in salvation, everything is about going, and this church has always been a church that goes. Notice what the text says. It says here in verse 29, So he said, come, and when Peter got down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
Jesus is not under the storm. He's walking on top of the storm. Jesus' walk and his word were enough to get Peter out on the water. Isn't it interesting how we're always wanting Jesus to come to us, but he wants us to step out of the boat and come to him. That's what he desires in our life. He desires for us to be the church that steps out of the boat and trust him in a time like this. Let me give you two steps if you're going to walk on water. This is going to be deep. Number one, you better get out of the boat. That's number one. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. But listen to me carefully. There are some people who can't go with you because God is taking you to places where they can't get out of the boat and they're going to give you every reason that you should stay in the boat. And one of the greatest temptations that you and I will ever face is to listen to people who aren't willing to obey God. Listen, you need to leave the boat today and leave some people in that boat because they can't go where God's taking you you got to leave friends. Sometimes you got to leave family. Sometimes you got to leave people that are closest to you. I, I think of this in, in my life. I think of the times when I chose friends who weren't the best friends to lift me up and encourage me. And I remember kind of cutting the tie and saying, God, you've got somebody better for me. You've got a group of people that are better for me so they can help me in my walk. And I had to leave some people in the boat because they were always telling me what I couldn't do. But Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do through you, but you've got to step over here. So step number one, you've got to get out of the boat. Step number two, you've got to get permission from Jesus. You've got to get permission from him. He's got to give you the okay. He's got to give you the okay. So Peter had to have a word from God. And faith has no grounds on which to act unless it has a word from God. So when you get a word from God... You were walking by faith and you were acting on the word that God gave you so it causes you to step out of the boat. Now, don't worry about step five or 5,000. You just step over and do what God tells you to do. I'm asking you to make it right with somebody today who you've been at odds with. Step out of the boat, be the big man or woman, and go to that person and say, listen, there's tension, there's frustration, there's anger, and I'm going to let it go today. God will give you the power. He will give you the ability because you can't do it in your own strength. This is a supernatural faith that you walk by. So you got to get permission from Jesus. What area do you need to step out and trust God? Now notice as we come to a close here, I love this about Peter. But when he saw the wind, you can't see wind. You can feel it, but you can't see wind. It says, but when he saw the wind, the wind was boisterous. He was afraid, which means he was terrified. He, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he said, Lord, save me. He knew that God was in control. He knows that Jesus is the master and he's the savior. So Peter, right here in this text, Peter supernaturally walked on water. So when he got out of the boat, he supernaturally walked on water. When he focused on the Lord, he was able to continue his walk of faith. But as soon as he began to look over here, he began to doubt. Listen, when you take your eyes off of the great I am, who is Jesus, and you put your eyes on man, or you put your eyes on something else, fear and faith can't reign in the same heart. You will be jerked over here to fear. But Jesus calls us to live a life of faith where we abandon everything we have to him. And fear and faith 
Both demand that you believe in something that you can't see. Faith and fear both demand that you believe in something that you can't see. So Peter got out of the boat and he was focused on the Lord. He was focused on the Lord. But faith never looks in two directions at the same time. So fear entered his heart. He began to sink. He was walking by faith. He was trusting in the great I am. Did you know the greatest danger in the storm is not complacency? It's our unbelief. It's our unbelief. We just don't trust. Failure's not the enemy. It's our unbelief in the midst of the storm. And so Peter, it says here in verse 30, that he, first of all, he supernaturally got out of the boat. He walked on water. He began to sink. And at least he didn't pray a long prayer. (laughs) He just said, Lord, save me. Did you know that that's all you have to pray today in your heart and in your life? Because all of us have missed the mark. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all born separated from God. And we're all sinking in sin. And all we have to do is cry out and say, Lord, save me. If you cry out today, Lord, save me, Jesus will come into your heart. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a brand new life. And you'll never be alone again. So here's what I believe that's important in this story. And I think I'm right on this. You can't prove me wrong. I think I can prove it right with the text. I'm going to try. So here's what the text says. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out, 31, his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, of you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Peter supernaturally walked on water and he supernaturally sank. Listen to this. Uh, A a defeat that leaves you humble is what happened. A defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. You know, we, we, we at this church better not get too smart for God. I'm talking to all of us. We we better be humble people. We better not walk and say, well, I know what we ought to do, and I think this should be done, and I think this is the one, and I think he should or she should or whatever, whatever the situation is. And we start orchestrating and trying to do the things that God only himself can do. And so I really believe that the key to Sagemont in the future is that we walk with humility. And when you walk with humility, you walk in a way that points people to him and not you. We need to walk in a way that honors God, in a way that blesses God. And what blesses God is when people don't see me, they see him. And so Peter, in this story, he was defeated, he fell, he sank, but he was humble because he cried out to the only one that could save him. And I think that's important to understand in this text. And then we come to the end of it, it says in, this in 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Could you imagine? Peter actually walked on water twice that day. One to get to Jesus, and then one when he went down. Could you imagine? I bet Jesus just carried him back. I don't know. You could just read it between the lines, whatever you think. But they got back to the boat, and and what's the text say? And the wind ceased. Do you understand today if you stop fighting against God, who's omnipotent, who is omnipresent, who is omniscient, who is totally in control, if you start beating against God, the winds and the waves in your life will cease and you'll be able to see him for who he is and you can trust him and you can give him your life today. 
Now let me show you what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us to a position of worship. Look at verse 33, and we'll close with this. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Are you kidding me? Oh, oh, duh. Truly you are the Son of God. Yes, you are. Notice the text says they worshiped him. It didn't say they served Jesus. They were serving Jesus all along. But you know what God is trying to get us to do? Not to serve Him. He's trying to get us to come to a point where we worship Him. And the people who have known the greatest storms in their life have known the greatest worship in their life because they found a God who comes through when He does His work His way with His people. If you want to know worship, some of you know how to worship Some of you know how to serve, but you haven't moved into worship. Because those who understand what Jesus can be in the storms of life really have a song, really have a hope. I mean, sometimes worship is more thrilling when you've been out in the storm with Jesus. Otherwise, it can just be a song that you sing. I think what God is looking for is worshipers today. That's what he's looking for, worshipers. And as we worship him, then we can serve him. But some people just serve God, but they don't worship God. Worship is the ultimate with God. We will worship God in heaven forever, and we will serve him, but it begins by worshiping him. Do you know the reason we do missions? is so we can teach people how to worship God here because that's what they're going to be doing for all eternity in heaven. That's why our budget goes 30% to missions. Not so we can just tell people, this is for now. No, this is a God not only of the now, it's a God who you will worship forever and forever and forever. My question to you is, who do you worship today? Who do you worship? 